This is PhotoBizX episode number 372, and today we are talking numbers, profit, loss, sales, revenue, and what you need to do to achieve financial success today. Our special guest is a headshot photographer who spent most of his working life working in finance before finding his calling as a headshot photographer. I'm talking about Richard Wayne, and that interview is coming up in just a minute. Are you planning to have a successful wedding and portrait photography business? Join Andrew as he interviews successful photographers and business experts to fast track your success. Welcome to the Photo Biz Exposed podcast with your host, Andrew Helmich. Hey, it's Andrew Helmich here from Impact Images and welcome to this episode of the podcast. Get your notepads and pen or pencil ready because I am confident there's going to be a bunch of note taking from today's interview with Richard. Before we jump into that, if you didn't catch last week's episode with Tanya Goodall-Smith and you are looking at building a branding photography business from scratch yourself, get back and have a listen to Tanya. She started her business from scratch (laughs) like we all do. And the beauty of her business is she started with a graphic design background. So you'll see immediately that she has a beautiful website and she leveraged what she knew and had learned about branding and applied that to her branding photography business, which she has built to suit the lifestyle that she wants. So she has time for her kids, her family and things outside photography. And she's doing this in a small city. So yeah, Tanya Goodall-Smith, get back and have a listen if you didn't catch that one. You're listening to the number one photography business podcast with Andrew Helmich, photobizx.com. Alrighty, we're going to jump into this interview with Richard Wayne in just a second. If you are hearing this announcement, it does mean you are listening to the free version of the podcast. What that means is you won't be hearing the full interview today with Richard because I do save a big chunk of the second half where we dive deep into the numbers for premium members only. But the good news is you can access the full interview if you want to for as little as $1 with a 30-day trial membership. Head over to photobizx.com forward slash try if you want to check that out. I'll send you everything you need to get started with your membership so you can hear the full interview today with Richard, get access to the full back catalogue, and I'll also send you an invite to the premium members Facebook group so you can see just how good that is photobizx.com forward slash try if you want to learn more about that. Welcome to another great eye for business. It's time for Andrew's special guest. Today's guest is a headshot photographer recommended by a previous guest, Alma Bruffy. She said when introducing him, he is a financial guru, really. He's helped me realize my spending, budget and cash flow through spreadsheets he's created for photographers. He has a background in finance And he shared his experience and knowledge with many of us in Peter Hurley's headshot crew, where he serves as a mentor. I went off to do a little digging before sending an invite and found a fantastic website. Great headshot photography for a photographer based in Pennsylvania, USA. It was difficult to see if he was successful or not, just looking at the website. But I did some more searching and I found he is a university graduate. He's worked most of his career in finance before finding his calling as a headshot photographer. I'm talking about Richard Wayne of Richard Wayne Photography, and I'm looking forward to learning more, and I'm wrapped to have him with us now. Richard, welcome. 
Hello, Andrew. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. And like I said, you have a fantastic website, but it's so difficult to get an idea of what business is like. How are things for you in business as a photographer? Actually, I love making headshots and businesses is actually doing great pandemic, notwithstanding. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So when you say business is great, let's put aside the pandemic and we can talk about prior to and what you expect coming out of it. But when you say business is great, how do you measure that business is great for you? So I have a great deal of different metrics that I consider, not just revenue, although revenue is, and you'll probably agree with me, cash is king, revenue is king. And nothing tells you that you're doing all the right things more than your income and your revenue stream. But I'm also looking at things like social proof and how I am perceived out in the industry and in my particular demographic in my market, how people are are thinking of me. What is my reputation? Those are important metrics as well. So, I mean, it's easy to measure revenue. Well, I guess relatively easy. But how do you measure those other metrics? Well, social proof is certainly a very big, uh, I guess we call it a key performance indicator, a KPI. And so the first place I'm going to go is to Google. I want to know what people are saying about me. And I'd like to look at the reviews people have left. And I do interact with both present, past, and hopefully future clients. So I'd love to hear where they're coming to me from. Where am I getting my referrals? What people think of me after the experience? What people think of the experience? All of that information actually gets fed back into my workflow and or my website, depending on what it is they're telling me. How can I make the experience better? What information can I provide that would maybe push them towards perhaps booking with me again or referring one of their friends or colleagues? Right. So are you relying purely on online research to get that information or are you using questionnaires and things like that directly with your clients? I don't actually use questionnaires outright. I'd sooner get on the telephone. Right, okay. <laughs> I, I prefer an old school type of methodology. I do believe that the art of conversation seems to be dying, but I'm all too happy to dial a telephone and ask a few questions of my past clients. I will email with them to arrange a time, or maybe I'll just ask them outright, how was your experience? Or I might even give them the link to the Google review and let them go for it. Nice, nice. So talking about the revenue side of things, what do you feel is a good revenue for a headshot photographer? Is that a number you can come up with? I think that really depends on where you're located, Andrew. So where I am in Pennsylvania, you're really not going to find top of the market. In other words, you cannot compare Lancaster, Pennsylvania to New York City. There's really no way. The cost of living is different. The revenue streams are different. The ability to diversify in some way, shape, or form, the access to various resources is different. So perhaps fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year where I live could be the equivalent of a hundred and a hundred and fifty thousand dollars in New York City. So how can you adequately measure that type of success? So what I would probably say is Determine what it is you as a photographer want to make per year and work backwards. 
right? Don't simply rely on the numbers to measure your success, but work backwards this way. When you do achieve those numbers, then you know that's the break-even point. That's the place where you want to be. That's a nice sweet spot. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't always push the envelope and push the rates higher as you get better, as the demand for your work increases. You know, I still operate on the simple laws of supply and demand. Right. So based on what you've just said, do I make the assumption then that, you know, you have a revenue of say $60,000? More, yes. (laughs) More than that? Yes. Okay. So business is good. It's your full-time job. You're making your sole income from headshot photography. That's correct. But I think there's a little bit of disclosure involved in that. I don't simply make headshots and people go on their merry way. I have different arms to my business diversified income stream. On the other hand, I am also consulting photographers on their businesses and helping them with their analytics and understanding what their numbers are telling them so that they can apply that information and form a strategic and tactical plan to improve them. So there's a consulting arm to my business. So there are multiple streams of income in there. But yes, photography in specifically headshot and portrait photography is the majority of that income. Okay. I want to come back to the finance side of things and the numbers in just a second. But talk to me about that transition you made from the finance industry to photography. How quick did that happen and how did you make that transition? Oh, I can't remember the exact year, but let's call it eons ago. I had an ex-girlfriend who had a son who was a high school wrestler. And I said, gee, wouldn't it be great to have pictures of him wrestling for sentimental purposes? And so I went out and I bought a camera. And what I discovered very quickly was not only did my images stink, but I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) So I did what any rational human being would do. I took to the University of YouTube (laughs) And and what I discovered was that I didn't have the right equipment and I certainly had no idea what I was doing, like I said. So I gathered whatever pennies I had and went back to the, the drawing board. I picked up a DSLR and I realized that, gee, the entry level DSLRs are not going to do what I want them to do. And the reason why is because as a novice, I picked the most difficult environment in which to make a picture. And and high school gymnasium with very, very low lighting, shooting a wrestling match, which could be over within either 10 seconds or six minutes. It would take me six minutes just to turn the camera on. So (laughs) long story short is that I had no idea what I was doing. And so I sat down to more YouTube videos and I happened across a video that Peter Hurley had done for a Google Plus platform. And... I was enamored. I mean, he was magnetic and energetic. He was absolutely hysterical. And I literally laughed my rear end off for about two hours. And I said, okay, I've worked in in a professional atmosphere all my life. When you want to get better at something, there's always a conference. What conferences are around for photography? So I found one in New York City. Now I'm originally from New York. And I've spent most of my career there. So this is familiar territory. I said, this is wonderful. I'll go to the conference. I'll have a great time. Maybe I'll learn something. Lo and behold, Peter was on the docket to do a a panel or a demonstration. And once again, I laughed my rear end off for an hour and a half. I would just, but the images were absolutely beautiful, Landry. 
they were gorgeous images. The way in which he got those images to watch him work on stage, it was really captivating. And so pretty much that's where I made the command decision that if I'm going to pursue anything in photography, it's going to be headshot photography. And I had to meet Peter. I had rubbed elbows with the right people that day or that evening because I ended up at a party that he was co-hosting with the F-Stoppers guys. And so I walked up to him after grabbing a drink. I introduced myself and he said, hey, it's great to meet you. You know, very warm and inviting. He said, yeah, let me see your pictures. And I pulled out a few that I had on my cell phone and without missing a beat. And this is a very well-known story at this point, but for those that don't know, without missing a beat, he looked at those pictures and said, man, you fucking suck. (laughs) And I mean, it was a great chuckle. I mean, we had a great laugh at it, but I don't come from a place of, you know, failing. I don't like to fail. I will work and work and work until I'm successful. And so I said, look, if I'm that bad, teach me. I joined the first iteration of his coaching platform, which was called PH2 Pro. It is now called the Headshot Crew. And I learned and I learned and I learned. I know that at least on one occasion, Peter has told me that I had a ridiculously vertical learning curve, but that's simply because I don't like to make the same mistake twice. And so I keep learning and I'm always a student of the game. I will keep learning until the day I die. But that is kind of how I got into headshot photography. And at that point, I said, okay, I don't come from a place of artistic background. That's really not in my brain. I'm an analyst. I've got a very methodical and technical type of brain mechanism. This is really a business. Even though there's very much an artistic element in it for me. Now, I know that there are going to be a lot of photographers out there that say, well, you know, I'm an artist. That's okay. I'm not. Okay. I make artistic decisions, but I'm a businessman and I run a business. So I have turned whatever Peter has taught me into a business that I contribute. You know, my wife is a teacher and I contribute to a household and Actually, as of today, my daughter just graduated from high school today, and in the fall, she will be starting uh, University of Pittsburgh. So, you know, if it weren't for headshot photography, we would not be making that possible. Fantastic. And I can say, you know, with hand on heart, your work is fantastic. I mean, I'm looking at your homepage right now and the portraits, the headshots are just gorgeous, beautifully well lit, great expressions, eyes popping. Yeah, you're a great photographer let alone businessman, which I don't know a lot about yet. But tell me about making that transition. So you obviously got good quickly. Did you throw in the day job? Did you start booking headshot clients while you're still working the day job? Tell me about that transition. Right. I guess I didn't complete the question that you asked the first time. So the continuation to the story is that once I had met Peter and I kind of fell in line with his coaching platform and the way he teaches. And I started to improve little by little. I was already part of the 2007, 2008, I guess you call it the house of cards. Wall Street basically was decimated when the entire economy, and I think that was a global economy, went into the tank. And working as an analyst, you're not writing 
tickets. In other words, you're not generating revenue for any brokerage firm that you work for. You're analyzing data and giving it off to somebody else who's going to generate that revenue. They pay you pretty well for it, but that doesn't mean that they won't get rid of you if you're overhead. And so I walked into work one day and at least 10 of us were laid off just like that. Wow. And I even inquired, I said, was this for performance? Because nobody was saying anything. And they said, absolutely not. You do a great job. We just, we can't keep you on. There's not enough money to, you know, substantiate the overhead. Now, at that point, I probably could have gotten another position in New York. Really. I mean, if you can't make it in New York, you can't make it anywhere. And Almost actually, it was the same day. My girlfriend, this is, of course, flashing forward. My girlfriend had said, well, why don't you come down to Pennsylvania and see if there's anything here for you? I said, "Okay, you know, I'll think about it. And I had already been coming down to Pennsylvania, which is about a three and a half hour drive from New York every other weekend. So I would come down to Pennsylvania on a Friday night right after work. I would go back to New York on a Sunday and then I would work all week and then another week would go by and then I would come back down again. And I did that for about a year, mind you. And when she said, come on down, I said, okay, I'll see what's around. I eventually ended up taking a position at a bank for a short while and I had done enough for them. It was time for me to part ways with them and my business had already ramped up. And so I said, this is a good opportunity for me to dive into what I really enjoy doing, following the passion and kind of escaping the banking and brokerage world. It's not to say that it's a bad place to be. Look, banking and brokerage really did support me in in my lifestyle for quite some time. But it was time to pursue a different challenge and something that I really was passionate about and still am. And so the transition was thus. I did not just walk out of you know Wall Street one day and pick up a camera and start again from scratch. Uh, business isn't just generated overnight. You don't just open your doors, hang a shingle out on the lawn and say, I'm open for business and people walk in. It's not like that. You have to put a lot of time and effort into it. And basically establishing a business in an area that you're unfamiliar with is even harder. Not only did my demographic shrink, the mindset has changed as well. And on top of that, people don't know who you are. And if you're not from the area originally, you're not part of the in crowd. They won't even think twice before they just turn their back on you. So it's taken some time for me to ingrain and ingratiate myself into the area and make some friends, become friendly with other business owners and network with people. And that takes a lot of time. So Hold on to to any position that you have until you ramp up business, and then you can transition. You may be miserable in the process, but uh, it's a wiser decision, I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. So those first clients, were they coming from you know these different business associations like BNI Group and your networking or from your professional life in the banking industry? Like, Where did you get these first clients from? So, yeah, some of my first clients were from my previous professional career that was back in New York. But when I opened shop in Lancaster, I actually turned to Thumbtack. I don't know if you're familiar with Thumbtack, but it's kind of a sourcing website where you can find all sorts of different professionals. And so 
I don't know if they're other, it's kind of like maybe LinkedIn Pro Finder. I don't know if that might be familiar to you. Right. I've heard of Thumbtack, but I don't think we have it here in Australia. Basically, you put in a bid for a job saying this is what you're willing to do for it. Thumbtack takes a few dollars or credits as they call them. And so I basically developed a name for myself doing that. Plus, I put my name out through Facebook groups and I started to work with some of the local air quotes here, models, just trying to develop a portfolio. I certainly opened my doors to friends and family to develop a portfolio. I just wanted people to experience the work. And even though the work was at a very different level than it is now, the experience still holds true. They had a great time and they were able to give me what I really wanted, which was social proof. Right. Got it. Got it. So let's fast forward to today or, you know, recent times. And I can see on your website, you know, your pricing is clear there. It says $70 per image plus a $295 session fee. How do you come to those numbers? So, well, like I had mentioned earlier in the conversation, I believe there's a dollar figure attached to what it is that I would like to make each year. Okay. Just like if I were working any other nine to five type of job, how much would I expect company XYZ to pay for my services? So there's a dollar figure attached to that. We'll call it salary for whatever, whatever good that is, but we'll call that salary. On top of which I have overhead. You know, I run a studio. I have a lease on the studio space. I have electricity bills. I have internet. I have this. I have that. When I stack all of those numbers together, I have all of my operating expenses. And when I think about offsetting those operating expenses, at the end of the day, I need for my net operating income to be in the, in the black. I don't want to see a red number. And if that number is in the black and I'm still able to pay myself that salary, well, that's kind of a really big deal. But the only way that I can substantiate those operating expenses is if I offset them with revenue. And so the revenue part comes into how many sessions uh, at the prices that I have chosen. Can I do? Have I done? What is the pattern? You know, how many sessions have I done over the last quarter, last six months, last year? What is the seasonality of it all? All right. These are key important metrics that I'm looking at when I analyze my financials to create a budget for myself at the beginning of a year. And so when I think about what people have paid and what are they willing to pay, that's kind of how I'm getting my numbers at this point. And mind you, those numbers tend to go up. I've not been in a situation where my rates go down. Now, that's not to say that they won't, right? You have to kind of ebb and flow with the market. And I've always believed there's a a principle of economics Something is only worth what somebody is willing to pay for. Okay. And that's the truth. And, you know, if you consider, you know, photographers in New York City for a headshot, it's not unconscionable for a session fee to be a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars for a session, never mind the per image. Right. Right. Maybe a hundred dollars per image. That's very normal. Down here. I think around a $300 session fee is pretty, pretty good price for the value. Sure. 
Let me come back to your individual pricing in just a second, but just so I'm on the same page as you, let's say you want to have a salary, let's call it a salary of 70,000 US dollars. You've got to take into account tax plus your overhead. So let's say that comes to, I don't know, 130,000. That's the revenue you need to bring in to take home your $70,000 salary. Is that what we're saying? That's correct. If I bring in $130,000 based on your figures, then I've essentially broken even. In other words, I've offset all of my expenses, salary being part of those expenses, and now my net operating income is actually zero. In other words, the business actually has not collected money, but I've been paid and the expenses have been paid. Okay. So your salary is not a profit? No. No, 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 no. I don't consider it that way at all. Remember, much like everybody else, I have bills, I have family to take care of, I've got to put food on the table, and now I've got kids going to college. That's a big deal, and that requires money. And so the way I look at what I'm doing, and perhaps not for tax purposes per se, but I'm still an employee of my own business, and I must be compensated for the work I do. Okay, so let's say... At the moment, your salary is 70000 but one of your kids is going to college and you want to make 80000 or you have to take home an $80,000 salary, mm-hmm. then you have a couple of choices. It's either bring in more clients or up the pricing. Correct. Or there's a third option, which very few people actually talk about it, is reducing your overhead. Right. Okay. Right. If that's possible. Correct. And then there are ways and you can be strategic about things. And one example I always bring up with some of my clients and certainly with Headshot crew members is take a look at studio, for instance, which is always going to be one of your largest expenses, your studio lease. Real estate is not cheap. And we're not saying that you've purchased, we're just saying leasing it. But that's always going to be one of your largest expenses. Well, If you're only doing, let's say, hypothetically, of course, two sessions per month, does it really pay to lease that studio when you can just rent the space for a couple of hours each month or whatever have you, however that's structured? You'd probably save yourself a whole lot of money in doing so. Maybe you're shooting out of your house. And I know some people have uh, an objection to doing that. I was one of those people. I did not want to have a studio in my own home. Because at the time, I had young kids. And I don't really want to have strangers in my home with young kids. So I understand. But there are options, right? You can rent a studio. You can go into a shared studio arrangement with other photographers. You could, of course, shoot out of your home. There are ways around it. So if you are creative and strategic, you can probably reduce your expenses greater than you think. Right. All right, let me take you back then to that word profit. Mm -hmm. So are we actually striving to make a profit or are we striving to make a good salary as a headshot photographer? When I think of profit, I think of net operating income and I think of cash. Cash is always king because directly beneath net operating income are things like amortization, depreciation, tax expenses, all the, the below-the-line things. Okay, sorry, Richard. So, hang on. So net operating income, mm-hmm. that's the $70,000 figure I threw out, the salary, is it? No, no, no. So if we go back to the $70,000 figure you threw out, okay, or I think you changed it to eighty, but whatever have you, you've got salary and then you've got your overhead, yes. right? So 
we're going to bring both of those numbers together and that's your total operating expenses. Is tax included in that operating expenses? That depends on the tax that you're talking about. Are you talking about your income tax? Yes. Okay. No, because... That comes off the 70 or the 80. Right. Because the way taxes work here in the United States is that my business itself does not pay an income tax, but because I am a sole proprietor and the way I file my taxes, that salary, or I should say all of the numbers, all of my figures from my business flow through my personal income tax. So it becomes personal income. So I would be taxed on the salary I actually bring home. Yes. Okay. That'd be the similar or that'd be the same for Australian photographers as well that are operating as a sole trader. Right. So once you have all of your total expenses, then you have your total revenue and they offset each other. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's your net operating income. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. So another word for that would be total revenue. Right. That's correct. Okay. Got it. Okay, I'm on the same page. So you go back to your profit. Right. What you were saying about profit. Right. So when you consider your net operating income and all of the below the line things, at the end of the day, it's cash. How much has your business earned? Right. What is still in the bank account at the end of the day? Right. Because cash is cash. Now, I've always been a believer in this very point, and I don't think anything will ever actually change my mind. But one of the biggest key performance indicators for a business is how much cash do you have on hand? How healthy is your business? What's your liquidity? Right? Because at the end of the day, and this is just all cards on the table, Andrew, you know, I have not been in my studio for a little more than two months because I could not function due to the COVID-19 pandemic. If my business had no cash and I had not paid myself appropriately, I probably would not have been able to weather that storm. I've asked for no aid from the government because I had this covered and I figured if they already had plenty of claimants for that money that needed it more than I did, let them take the money. But I was able to stay alive because my business is healthy. So it's a very big indicator of how healthy your business is. Cash is cash. Okay, so that cash, that's over and above your salary plus your expenses. So your salary becomes an expense for your business. Your salary is an expense of your business. So if you add your salary and your electric bill and your insurance bill and your studio lease, et cetera, those are all expenses. Okay. If I have 10 sessions in a month, hypothetically, and I've got the $300 session fee plus the per image fee, all of the monies that I collect from those sessions, those are revenue. And that revenue will offset all of the overhead, including salary. That is how we get to net operating income. Right. Okay. Well, let's round these figures out. Let's say our total expenses, including our salary, is 150000 Okay. For a ballpark figure. Are you saying then for the business to be profitable, we would need to have a higher revenue than $150,000 coming into the business? That's correct. Right. That is correct. And that's the part that is cash that sits in the bank or wherever it is. So you can live off that in the case of a pandemic, for example. Right. And, and you could be strategic about how you deal with that cash, 
right? In some cases, it could be advisable to establish what I call a rainy day fund or a reserve, right? Because at the end of the day, Andrew, stuff always happens and I'd rather play it safe than sorry. So you could take a portion of whatever's left in the bank after all of your expenses are paid, including your salary, and you could put it into a a savings type of fund and build that up a nice reserve. But remember, part of your expenses could be establishing that fund or contributing to that fund. It could be contributing to your retirement funds. It could be contributing to all sorts of different disbursements. So you could easily lump those in with all of your expenses and just kind of make it a very normal payment. Right. Okay. Okay. So in your experience, when you're going in to help other photographers, do you see them operating their businesses like this, looking at these numbers this way? Typically, no. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's what I expected. (laughs) So what I have always found when it comes to photographers, and this is not a slight, it's simply that photographers and artists in general don't always have their eyes on the money. And I know this is a very broad stroke, very broad brush, almost stereotypical and generalized, but artists are not great business people. They're not normally thinking of the numbers. And so I don't like to be in a position of my income goes up one month and it goes down the next month and we're in this camel hump kind of year. I like to be very strategic about how my quarters and my months and my years play out because I believe in having a sustainable business. If your income goes up and it goes down and it goes up and it goes down, you have no idea what's going to happen and how can you possibly plan and budget accordingly. Yeah. So what then do you suggest the photographer does? Let's say you walk in to help a photographer and you're listening to the way they're running the business and it's just, you know, they're advertising, they're getting shoots in, they're getting what they can from the clients as far as sales are concerned, but there's no structure to it. Is the first thing to look at what they want to be taking home at the end of the day? Or do we look at the expenses first? What do we look at first to build a successful business? The first thing that I would do, and it may be counterintuitive to some other approaches, but the first thing that I do is I sit down and I line item all the expenses first, right? Because the truth is you can't understand the expenses without understanding the income. But there are things you can do about the income, right? There's sales and marketing. There's, you know, working on SEO. There are various avenues, right? There are plenty of suggestions on how to get out there and do that kind of thing. And if memory serves, you had Mike Schacht from 312 Elements and Headshot Hot Sauce. He's a fantastic resource. He's actually worked with me. He's done a fantastic job. And I literally tripled my income because of his knowledge he and Mike Sansoni. So sales and marketing is a different avenue. So if you need that kind of help, they're probably the guys. But when we're talking about expenses, I would probably go down each one of those and see what's necessary. There's an old story about uh, Sandy Weil and uh, Jamie Dimon. Are you familiar with them, Andrew? No, I'm not. Okay, Sandy Weil used to be the chief executive officer of Citigroup. In fact, he formed Citigroup. And Jamie Dimon at one point was his right-hand man. And at a time that they worked, I believe, at American Express. I believe that's the place. But the story goes that 
when Sandy Weil walked into American Express, there was only so much that he could actually do with the income. So he line itemed and, and chopped expenses wherever he could. And he turned a failing business into a profitable one by just realigning the expense streams and the income streams. So I do take sort of an approach to every business that way. Look at the expenses, what's necessary, what's not, what's a frivolous expense, what do you need? You know, why buy something if you don't need it, if you can't afford it, right? So the numbers have to add up. Truthfully, you cannot look at the entire picture without looking at both income and expenses, but expenses is where I start. Then we can talk about the income. Okay, let me ask you then, because you said you got to look at what's necessary. Premium members of Photobiz Exposed hear more of the best photography business strategies from every guest. Okay, if the listener wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Well, my website's certainly the most convenient way, and that's www.richardwayne.com. That's Richard richardwaine.com. Or they can email me at info at richardwayne.com. They can send me smoke signals. They can find me on social media. I'm on Instagram. It's at Richard Wayne on Facebook, Richard Wayne Photography. Fantastic. I'm pretty much on all the social platforms. I'm pretty easy to find. But if you just go to my website, you can get everything right there. Fantastic. I'll add links to all those in the show notes to accompany this interview. And look, Richard, it's been a real pleasure. It's been fun to talk numbers and get a better idea of what we should be looking at with our own businesses. And it has been enlightening. So thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure, Andrew. Thank you for having me. I certainly hope the information was helpful. And even though complicated, I certainly hope it shed a little bit of light on stuff. Absolutely. Well, what I'll do is uh, once this goes live, I'll get you added into our members Facebook group. And uh, I'm sure you'll have a few extra questions thrown at you by members. So hopefully that'll be okay. Yeah, absolutely. I look forward to engaging in the conversation. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Richard as much as I did. Richard, if you're listening, thank you again, mate, for coming on, sharing everything you did. I learned a ton. I'm sure the listener got a bunch from what you had to share as well. So again, thank you so much. For you, the listener, I hope I'm right in saying that. If there was a particular takeaway, something that Richard shared that you thought, oh, yes, that makes so much sense. I'm going to be applying that to my business. I would love to hear about it. I know Richard would as well. If you're happy to share your thoughts on today's episode, today's interview, leave a comment in the comments area. And you can find them this week at photobizx.com forward slash 372. The comments area are at the very bottom of that page. And above the comments area, you'll find examples of Richard's beautiful work. Like his work is fantastic. You'll also find links to anything and everything that Richard mentioned in the interview. And there was a ton. (laughs) It's all there in that one spot. And of course, if you are a premium member, I'll be adding Richard into the members Facebook group so you can have access to him there super easily. So if you have a follow-up question, something that you wish that I asked that I didn't, you can hit Richard up inside the group. Photo Biz Exposed. Interviews with photographers to help you build a better photography business. Just before we close out today's episode, I just wanted to remind you that if you are interested in getting transcripts from the interviews, whether it's the free podcast 
episode if you're a free listener or the premium version of the episodes. Transcripts are now available for every interview moving forward. I know some people love to read and access the transcripts, particularly if they don't have time to listen to a full interview. Maybe they want to scan certain topics or go back and find something specific that the guest was talking about. So those transcripts are there and available to you. They generally pop up a day or two after the interviews go live so we can get all those sorted. The other quick thing I wanted to mention was the daily vlog challenge has finished, the last one, and I'm having a little break before I kick off the next one on September 7th, but you can register now. The early bird registrations are open for that. Head over to dailyvlogchallenge.com to pre-register or register for the next challenge, and then I'll keep you updated via email once we're ready to go. And just so you are aware, that challenge is all about getting more comfortable being yourself on video, but we take a distinct business approach. So during the challenge, in particularly in the final week, you'll be sending email replies to client inquiries using video. You'll be recording video testimonials for businesses or service providers that you want to be networking with to build your business. We're going to be recording a video that you can use for retargeting visitors to your website. I'm going to show you how to set that up. In addition to all that businessy type stuff, there's fun prompts. You get to know each other inside the group. You practice your videos every single day. And all you really need is 15 to 20 minutes a day to do the challenge. It really is a life-changing experience. They are so much fun and it's really, really sad when the challenge is finished because I feel like, and I know other, other challenges feel the same way, we've made a whole new group of friends every time we go through because we see each other every single day throughout the challenge. We get to see where, where each other lives, what we do in our spare time, where we hang out on the weekend. Sometimes we meet each other's families, <laughs> pets, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a real lot of fun. So daily vlog challenge, if you'd like to improve how you are on video or even just get more comfortable being yourself. I'd love to see you on the next challenge if that interests you. Alrighty, that is going to wrap up this episode of the podcast. I hope you have a fantastic week ahead and I look forward to chatting to you soon. All right, that's it from me. Bye for now. If you have enjoyed this episode, head to photobizx.com. Join the conversation, leave a comment and share your thoughts on the interview with Andrew and today's special guest. 